Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Jerick Show. In this week's action-packed episode, we talk about old people and AOL. We discuss cash apps, and we try to sympathize with investors that are losing money. All this and a special guest. Welcome to The Jerick Show, featuring your hosts, Javad Malik and Eric Crone. Timely topics poorly presented. So let's get the introductions out of the way. As always, back from last week's hiatus when we had a fantastic episode without you. But how are you doing, Eric? What did the doctor say? How long do you have to live? <laughs> I'm doing okay. Um, we're just dealing with, uh, yeah, I got in a car wreck, neck hurts. Uh, Going to keep dealing with it. Good. And our other special guest this week is the James McQuiggan. Um, James is <laughs> a long-term friend of ours and a colleague as well. So how are you doing, James? And welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I think I was one of the first subscribers when you guys started all of this. So glad to uh, glad to be here. Only took 40 shows to get joined on. So, but you know, hey, it's another day in paradise and excited to be here. That's awesome. I think we're up to four subscribers now. So you're in the first 25%. Woohoo! Awesome. So, so people, when you're on YouTube and you see a video and there's that one person at the bottom always saying, first, you just <laughs> met him. <laughs> That's him. That's the physical manifestation of it. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Cool. So uh, don't forget to subscribe to us on our YouTube channel, The Jerick Show, and on uh, on our podcast, Jerick Show, uh, thejerickshow.podbean.com, and follow us on all the social media sites. So anyway, let's jump straight into it. Um, James, uh, let, talk, well, this is a story you can probably relate to um, more, more closely than uh, Eric or I. It's elder fraud. Uh, what's this all about? The FBI put out a warning. Is that because I'm older than you guys and I'm closer to retirement than both of you? Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, so... Elder fraud is always a uh, is a big concern out there because a lot of people that are the digital immigrants, the old folks, uh, the baby boomers, and and uh, our parents and so forth, they are a lot more trusting online than we'd like them to be. And and there's a lot of different scams that are out there as you, as we're seeing here. You got the romance scams, the tech support one. I've had family members fall for that. You know certain operating system calls up and goes, hi, you got a virus here. We're going to help you fix it. Yeah, they don't do that. Um, one of the, the nastier ones is these funeral scams where they'll scan the obituaries in your area or whatever area they're in. And then they go to the funeral and they meet the widow and go, hi, just want to let you know that your significant other owes a debt of money to us. And they make it look all look official. And lo and behold, they end up uh, paying it. Uh, I think the term I like to use is low life uh, for that. Uh, but yeah, a lot of different scams that are out there. And again, just like the adults in the in the world, it's, it comes down to awareness, making sure people are aware of the different scams and telling, showing them what to look out for. So Javad, um, if you remember a long time ago, we in one of our earlier episodes, um, we did a how low can they go? sort of theme, right? And and we talked about how some of these attackers will um, scan obituaries and then do fraud against like Medicare, Medicaid, things like that. Um, 
And, and this is just another example of how low will they go? I mean, to show up at the funeral and be like, Oh, they owe us money. Um, that's just kind of, that's taking it to a new level. What do you think? It is, it is. It's, it's so, uh, and you, you, Got uh, in in one high look at how brazen they are when they turn up in person. A lot of the fraud we talk about is online. Um, when the uh, coronavirus started to spread and there was the initial uh, spate of deaths, there was uh, we in I think in that episode we we spoke about how some nurses had died and people were taking their public profile pictures and setting up a GoFundMe or something similar. Say we we're trying to raise funds for their funeral. This is the person they were like a caring, giving a member of the community. And people, obviously, they they feel for these people who've, uh, you know, given the ultimate sacrifice in the service of others. And, um, yeah, th this is um, a really, uh, really low one. I mean, my, my advice to my parents and uh, their, their, their friends and what have you is uh, just be rude. If anyone phones up, don't try to be polite or engage in conversation. Just hang up the phone. Yep. Uh, you're going to feel like rude, but you know they're, they're not really going to call back or, or just say go away uh, and, and hang up the phone. The, the, the problem is that the more oxygen you give them, the more uh, they have an opportunity to, to get into your mind and um, try to influence you. You know, that's tough for some of the, the older generation because they were kind of raised on being polite right. and, and having that interaction and, and, you know, having a little bit more concern about um, what others may think of them and all that. I mean, here, here we are at our age, um, and things have changed quite a bit. Probably thanks to social media, we can argue that however we want. But this is a real problem with the older people that don't want to be seen as rude and don't want to uh, to do that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, years ago we used to get excited when the phone would ring. It's like, oh, who's calling us? Who's calling us? And and have to go answer the phone. And nowadays the phone rings, and I look at the caller ID, and I go, yep, nope, not answering it. Uh, but yeah, I think with a lot of the the life experience people, as I like to call them, seniors is almost a little too cruel. But uh, the life experience, um, you know, it, it's kind of that norm that they're either have to settle into become aware of it or, you know, they end up falling uh, for these scams, which is uh, unfortunate. Uh, I think the, the other factor here is is loneliness, especially during this pandemic when people have been isolating a lot. You get a phone call and someone's talking to you, you're happy yeah. to talk to them for a while. And, and that happens. But uh, li linked to this story is uh, <laughs> how many of you actually used to receive AOL CDs or, or still do maybe? Yeah, I gotta wonder: do they do they even actually send those out anymore? I can I can only say no. I'm sure they don't. Um, but back in the day, yeah, they used to send these things out and get people to sign up for free internet or or cheap internet. And yeah. so, what's interesting is this: is so many years ago, right? And yet AOL is still around. It's no longer the ISP it used to be. It's more right. of a an advertising campaign or an advertising organization these days. So it shifted what it did, but it's it's held on to a lot of those people that that was their first and only email account. Remember the whole, you've got mail, right? That came from AOL. Yeah. Yet here they are um, fishing people on AOL. Yeah, I've still got family members that are using it. It's their one email address. And, you know, it. AOL is, like you said, it's no longer that internet service provider. It's now email and, you know, a, a cheesy platform. But yeah, yeah. Um, the the phishing email you know your account's closing you know we see that 
with banks and, and other uh, environments. It's that lure of fear that you're going to lose your account and your access to email and your connection to the outside world. And when you've got all those life experience people, uh, that's their only connection. So yeah, I can see it freaking them out, but um, yeah, you know, so we don't exactly have awareness programs for <laughs> the uh, seniors. So Javad, I know that um, technologically wise, um, you're challenged by operating a toaster. Um, do you have a, an AOL account or something other than that? I don't have an AOL account. No, I, I never got sucked. I was never rich enough to afford the 10 or 20 pounds a month that yeah. they wanted to, for subscription. So, so that's why I, I didn't do that. I used to have a Hotmail account back in the day. That was, I think that was the first free email service that I signed up for. Uh, but uh, I don't have that account anymore, which is for the best, I think. <laughs> Well, it is interesting because these people who have these accounts, um, although they probably even have a free account through their ISP or they can get Gmail or whatever, um, they're intimidated by the idea of having to change to a new account right. and being unfamiliar with the stuff that's going on there. So they've held on to this legacy thing for so long. And now the attackers, again, are targeting that. And what's interesting is the attackers are probably going to have a real good idea of the demographic they're targeting when they're doing this. So they can make it even more effective by using those elder scam sorts of things we just talked about right. with this demographic. Yeah, yeah. So, so at its peak, let, let, let's uh, take a bit, bit of a deep dive into AOL. At its peak in 2000, they had around 23 million subscribers um, across the U.S., uh, and, um, you know, it, and most of them paid about $20 per month for dial up and internet. And, um, you know, cause Gmail and stuff wasn't around back there, or there weren't many free uh, services out there for internet and, and, and what have you. Um, it's hard to say how many subscribers they have now. I, I think the, the, the most up to date, uh, annual report that AOL filed, which, um, broke out their email services was 2014 but even in 2014 they reported 600 million in revenue from their email services wow. uh, and they predicted that that's going to decline by 50 million a year so that was what seven years ago so they're still probably making about you know what, what is that 350 three, 300 million 200 million it's still a significant amount i think it's uh you know it's how many people are there that don't realize they're paying actual money for this service if you want to talk about scams let's get people off these services you you didn't tell me there was going to be math involved today right? yeah i know i know neither did i tell myself let's move <laughs> swiftly on yeah yep so, so speaking of maths uh and cash I suppose is numbers. numbers, so it's like maths. That's me making my my, my link between the awesome stories. Awesome segue. Awesome segue. I know. I know. You're welcome. You can't. You can't pay for this kind of service. See, if AOL came to you and said, "We're going to give you an internet show," just say no. This no. Is I think it's that we can't charge for this kind of service, Javad. That's the difference. Okay. So, anyways, on this story, right? This is the Cash App story, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, Cash App is another one of these uh, money sharing apps that have become very popular, right? There's Venmo, there's PayPal, there's all of those sorts of things. And Cash App, I know, has become more and more popular. Um, my, my wife has used it. We've used it with, you know, people just uh, making purchases, et cetera, et cetera. And there's some things about it that 
are different, um, but it's very convenient for people to be able to go, you know what? Oh, you 20 bucks. You're standing there next to him and you go, boom, and you send them the money or, you know, you're splitting a meal or something like that. And who carries cash anymore? So boom, you cash app them a few bucks, right? So these are becoming very, very popular and they're super convenient. Well, of course, anytime something becomes popular, it becomes a target. So now what we're seeing here is we're seeing um, phishing kits that are focusing on the cash app side of things. And as soon as these uh, became available in the phishing kit, boom, they started hitting out in the real world. I'll tell you who's using cash, seniors. <laughs> uh, so, I, yeah, you're right. I don't know whether uh, contactless payment is a big thing over there in the US. Do you use contactless cards or phones for payment? It's slowly taking off. COVID helped with it. Uh, right, right. So, over here, a lot more of it. Yeah, so, speaking from the future, uh, we, we, we've been using contactless payments here in the UK for a long time. And uh, you can pair your um, card to your phone as well. So it's just like literally you go up to the till, you tap on the machine. And uh, initially the limits were at 30 pounds per transaction. Um, during COVID, they increased that to about 50 or 60 pounds. And just a few days ago, there was a report that they're going to increase it to 100 pounds. Oh, and it is very convenient because you can use your watch, you can use your phone, you can, you know, or, or your card or what have you. It's uh, it's really quick and convenient. But I, I was listening to this um, marketing psychologist, and he said actually uh, one of the big drivers behind it isn't is that when you use contactless payments, people are can spend up to thirty percent more with contactless than they do with cash or when they have to put in their pin because you're removing the friction or the barrier, and it doesn't feel it, it's same, similar to why casinos use chips instead of like actual cash on the table because the chip right. doesn't feel like cash. It's easier to use. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot harder to, to dig into your wallet, pull out money and see it reduced by a, a tangible amount that we can get our brains around and go, Ooh, maybe I don't want to spend that much, you know, put, send this back or whatever. Um, and so even doing like debit payments and things like that, uh, I'm sure people tend to spend a little bit more, even just putting it through debit cards, but now with the touchless and, and you know, that's, that's really makes it easy. And I do think it's funny. You said, welcome to the future. Cause I mean, it was, it's been years since I've been to London. Right. Um, but when I was there, of course, you guys were using chip cards, chip right. and pin long before we were over here. And, and here in the States, we even kind of put our toes in the water a little bit with a chip and signature. Uh, we didn't even do chip yeah. and pin. Right. Um, and, and it was interesting when I was over there, cause there were cards that I, my, my company card, I couldn't buy um, tickets for the uh, for the tube because my card did not have a chip on it. Right. It, it was uh, it was an interesting time going over there. So you're right. You're in the future. Uh, we look forward to your prophecies and such. <laughs> That's why uh, when you go to the supermarket, they've got all the candy there right there in the aisle and the all the magazines. It's because you're you've got your children with you and they're begging for that chocolate bar. And so. You throw it on there and it's like, all right, fine. They get you there at the the, uh, the aisles. If you had ever been to a Fry's uh, Electronics, oh. which is now closed down, uh, right? Yeah. They ran you through basically like an Ikea gerbil piece yep. of yep. candy and all kinds of like under $5 garbage as you waited your turn to hit one of the registers. It was brilliant. But also it, you had USB cables and mini chargers and just other little yeah, stuff. That's like, what I'm saying. All the, the, yeah. the inexpensive stuff, stuff you may not need. Yeah. Before you know it, you're like having to go get a cart 
to come back to get through the stupid line to get to the cashier. I mean, it was crazy and it's very effective, right? It, it, you know what? It is very effective. And it's not all garbage because uh, you took me to a fries when we were in Dallas, I believe. Yeah. I bought a GoPro from there and we were in the queue. And, and I saw one of those um, non oil, non stick frying pans, pancake maker. Yeah. It opens up and it closes and you just flip it around. And, uh, I use that so much. About three times a week or four times a week, me and my wife we use it. It's great. It's it's small, so it, it it's um, so yeah. It's it's a shame that fries is closing down. <laughs> yeah, but it does it does work. Um, I mean, it, it really really does. And I think if you remember, Toys R Us used to kind of run you through a gauntlet to get to the checkout too. And the kids, you know, you're having to peel them off of the uh, the shelving units and stuff. And I mean, yeah. it is a brilliant marketing technique. And if they combine that with this being easier to spend, um, you just don't feel it until you go home and you look at your account and you go, oh, whoa, oh, hey, what happened there? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so. So, so what, what we have now also is um, in some of the big supermarkets uh, where you go, you, you get your trolley or, or your cart, sorry, <laughs> uh, and you pick up a handheld scanner, which you've, pre and you, you've got your pre-registered thing, uh, your account with them. So as you walk through, you scan items and you put it in your trolley. And when you, and then you just walk out the store and it uh, deducts it from your account automatically. So uh, it's like the horrible buy with one click button that you see online. It's just impulse purchase. Anyway, uh, speaking of impulses, BEC scammers are targeting investors for massive payout. I'm trying to keep a straight <laughs> face because this is bad. We don't like people scamming or robbing anyone, even if they are investors. But uh... Well, I learned a lot when I actually read this story because as one of the poors, I had no idea how this kind of stuff works in the ritzy um, world of investments, right? So this has to do with a very targeted uh, attack against investors um, and probably specifically investment organizations, people that are doing a lot of investments, quite a bit and large amounts of money. Um, and as a matter of fact, it nets about 10 times what the typical BEC attack does. So James, why don't you take a moment and tell us about these, uh, these new types of attacks that we have here. So with the business email compromise or BEC, you, they're targeting these businesses to collect large amounts of money a lot quicker than they would, um, or a lot more sophisticated than they normally would through a, another type of phishing attack. The, the BEC, it, they take their time, you know, they get inside the environments and, and they want to be able to get a large payout. You know, sometimes they might get, you know, uh, on other phishing or spear phishing or other type of attack campaigns, they might be getting a couple thousand dollars, a couple hundred dollars, maybe hit a jackpot and get over 10,000. But these BEC scammers, they are in for the long haul. You know, they're collecting 50 to 100 millions of dollars. But this particular one is really interesting because they're using what they call their capital call sheet. And so it's demanding payment for a previous investment, but it's actually a fake investment. And either the people the, that are working at the investment companies, they're getting it and then they're just processing it without any type of additional verification or they've set something up. But uh, when I was looking through it, I just thought it was real interesting in regards to the, they're using the fake websites and, you know, the people aren't, uh, that are processing this weren't really catching it. And these guys are walking away with 800 grand plus 
in a single transaction. So, you know, the time and effort to put this into play could be a week, maybe a couple of weeks, could be less. Um, and they're netting $800,000 as they scam this money out of these different investment groups. Um, and once the money's been moved, they're quickly, the, the cyber criminals are quickly moving it to different banks. They've got their money mules. They've got uh, their own withdrawal transactions they've got going on to move the money around and, and make it a lot harder for them to get it. So um, they're getting more sophisticated. They're kind of up in the game a bit. And, you know, they're they're hitting folks that aren't, you know, on the bleeding edge of security awareness and, and are missing the boat on this one. So what's interesting on this is it's a it's a called a capital call. So basically investors say, I, I am putting money into this. I'm committing to putting money into this investment, although it may not be ready yet. So what they can do is they can hold on to their actual cash and use it to make money on their own. And then this call comes in, this capital call comes in that says, okay, now you take the money that you earmarked for this, you move it to us um, ASAP for this investment. And what was interesting in what I saw here is uh, the way they made these forms out, uh, they filled them out in such a way that it looked like they had previously invested money already. So it may be like um, amount invested already, you know, 1.2 million, um, call is 960,000. And um, what they were ending up doing is uh, they were saying things like, if you don't have us this money by this time, your initial money is forfeit. So what that's doing, it's adding that it's adding that sense of urgency. And then if they start looking through the books and they go, man, I can't find this, but it shows right here, you know, you got 1.2 million at stake. This may cause people to go, okay, we need to get that out there. Or we're going to lose this 1.2. So it's a very interesting way to do that. And some of the subtleties that they used in these calls. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and the other thing I was speaking to uh, my cousin's husband the other day, and uh, he used to work for, um, uh, an investment sort of company back back in the 90s. And um, he goes, they, they had the investment arm and they had the trading arm. And he goes, those guys are bullies for lack of a better term. He goes, IT support, he goes, they had no chance. He goes, they would be shaking anytime there was a call. So because especially the traders, he goes, if their keyboard broke, they needed a replacement keyboard within a minute because, because wow. um, you know, they would miss trades and that could make them lose yeah. money and what have you. So, because I was I was mentioning to him about the um, the uh, Australian investment firm that got the CEO got fished via Zoom link, and then he the the criminals used his email to send emails to the um, his, his staff saying transfer this much money. And uh, he his he, when I explained it to him, he was like, "Well, you know, people maybe they're scared to challenge him." Even if they think it's a scam, it smells like a scam, who's going to have the guts to go up and say, hey, boss man, do you really want to do this? Because they might get fired or they might get chewed out in front of the whole office. So the, the, the culture and approachability is also super important. Yep. So uh, those are the stories. Thank you for being with us on the story today. Uh, we, we've got James with us, and uh, let's uh, let's poke the beer a bit. Uh, you spent a few years prior to here working for a smallish German startup, I believe. Yeah, started up sometime back in I think the sixties. Um, oh wait, the eighteen sixties. Um, yeah, with uh, Siemens, uh, I had the pleasure of being there for about eighteen years. Uh, did a, had the pleasure of doing a wide variety of different jobs, everything from 
networking to VPN connections, getting into network security, and then getting my CISSP. And then that changed my whole life. Uh, then I met Javad and then I met Eric and it's all been downhill after that. Uh, but well, that was uh, the highlight of your life. I'm sure is, is was, meeting yeah. Javad and I, so of course it's going to be downhill after it that. It was great. Yeah. Um, but then, uh, Spent about five years doing security awareness at Siemens, which was a lot of fun. Uh, realized that's what the passion was. And then uh, did some product security for our wind division before joining all of you fine folks at Noblefor. So you said the wind uh, division. Is that a lot of hot air? You were just blowing hot air across things? Or, or how was that working for you? Yeah, that was a lot of hot air. Uh, I had to keep those turbines spinning somehow. Yeah, you're talking about the big windmills and stuff, though, right? The power generation. These stuff. are wind turbines that are generating. They were at the time they were generating generating about three to four megawatts, and you would have anywhere from twenty to a hundred turbines, wind turbines at a wind farm. Um, a lot of the times, you either had them offshore, onshore, out in the middle of the country. I know the UK's got a lot out here in you know in texas up in canada uh, yeah, texas yeah, yeah how those work out for texas yeah well the problem was is they didn't winterize those turbines um and they couldn't operate uh, they didn't want to spend the money didn't want to be spent to uh put enough into it to uh, you know make sure that it didn't freeze up kind of like security awareness programs they don't put enough money into the people okay sorry there's my soapbox um but yeah, yeah, that that was the unfortunate thing with those wind turbines. But it was interesting. I looked at the product security for that and making sure that you know they didn't get hacked. That was my that was my one job. So did it for three years and then had this opportunity. So, so Javad, I, I think you had a uh, this brings to mind a video that you made once before. Um, when I think about what happened in Texas during this, you know, we had this horrible cold snap go across there and power was shut off and all that because there were all these problems. Right. But what, <laughs> what, uh, James just said about not winterizing reminded me of the video that you made called accepted the risk. Does that kind of ring for you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's funny because it's these sorts of on, on the surface, it's basically an accounting decision, like, and it's put down to like, well, that's never really going to happen, or the likelihood, and and people underestimate the the actual impact that it's going to have. Mm -hmm. And uh, early on in my career, I was uh, introduced to, uh, I was getting introduced to all the teams and getting to know how they work. And there was uh, the the business continuity and disaster recovery team, and I was speaking to the gentleman who ran that. And I was like, so what, if, if the building catches fire, you, you have alternative sites for everything, you have two of everything, is that pretty much what you do? And uh, <laughs> he laughed and he goes, well, it's, it's actually a bit more nuanced than that. Because first he gave a presentation explaining how they got three power supplies in the, so two different power suppliers and backup generators. And then you have uh, three different internet providers all coming in from, from different angles uh, or different entrances into the building, say for, Someone working on the street cuts through one, you know, you still have power and internet and all those kinds of things. So I said, right, you just build redundant. And he goes, it's a bit more, more nuanced than that. He goes, it's even small things. He goes, say like your sewage pipe breaks on one of the floors. He goes, it's not that the building's not operational or uh, you can't work in there, but he goes, the smell is just going to make it completely in, in, inhabitable. He goes, people won't want to be anywhere on that floor. He goes, it's, it's the little things. He goes, the things that you don't really think about 
uh, on the big scheme, because we're always thinking about these big things that will happen, uh, an earthquake, a terrorist attack, a, a fire or something like that. But he goes, it, it, often it's just these these smaller things that happen or they set off a chain of events that make uh, that you have to factor in. Yeah, it's like the whole pandemic. It's like what made you guys shift to your uh, work from home program? Was it the CEO, the CISO or was it COVID? And of course, everybody circles COVID because that was something they weren't expecting and everybody had to act real quick. Yep. Yep. So, so James, so you've worked in many aspects. You, you've you described all some of the different roles that you've worked in. Obviously, security awareness is your passion. And uh, yeah, as you said, um, what kind of role do you think that you've learned the most from in, in, in your time? What, what do you think has built you up more uh, in terms of your security knowledge, uh, which you would say hey, this is a good place where people who are looking to build their, their security career could actually learn from, which isn't the traditional, like, say, pen testing, which everyone talks about. Yeah. One of the things, the the other passion is teaching. Um, and uh, teaching at the local college, I get to have the pleasure, the honor, again, we'll say, of educating in cybersecurity, a lot of the students, yeah, I see Eric shaking his head. Yeah, can't believe it. Um, but it's giving back, you know, getting those the, the next generation because we're not doing this forever and security's not going anywhere and it's going away anytime soon. So with educating them and look, discussing with them, we're always having the conversation, is it, you know, better to be a pen tester, part of the red team or work on the blue team, which is, I, I, it's a lot harder because you're on defense. And when you're on defense, you're working a lot harder. Uh, you know, there's that ever famous <laughs> saying that, that is, that's going to generate some uh, thumbs down. on our stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no blue teamers, blue teamers work really hard. Um, you know, with the folks that I got to work in the socks, work in the security operation centers, it's, it's a lot of work, but it's extremely rewarding as well. Um, you know, knowing that you're, you're working to protect the organization or protect the network or whatever, whatever it may be. But, you know, for me, it's, it's going out and, and doing the education and uh, meeting people and, and networking and, and, and all that. It's a lot of fun. Uh, but within the InfoSec community, there's so many different roles. You know, you can bring people in from all different aspects, you know, bring them in from communications. You can get them involved in, you know, doing security awareness and training. You bring somebody that's in, that's a data scientist or, or somebody that does analytics and they can be working in a stock doing those kind of analysis and log work on, uh, you know, coming off the networks. Uh, but it's, it's always a fun challenge trying to, you know, find that, that one role. Uh, but, uh, there's a lot of them out there, and I think uh, I think with the folks coming in, networking and getting folks, uh, I think it's more about networking and getting the right personality of, of somebody that's going to be working in that uh, field, and you can teach them all the technical stuff. Wise words from Grandpa McQuiggan. Yeah, Professor Grandpa McQuiggan. <laughs> you know, when you said Grandpa, and I, I nearly turned around to look at my dad, but yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> Appreciate it. Cool. That's very good. So, is there uh, are there any? Let, let's let's do this. You, you're an avid reader. What can you recommend? But what's high on your recommended reading list at the moment? Well, it's funny you should say that because I just pulled this book out this morning because I had to look some stuff up. 
Oh yeah, Perry's book. Yeah, Perry's book. Um, granted, I know we work with him, but ten years ago, I, I and I mentioned it to him this morning. But ten years ago, when I was doing security awareness and trying to get people to take the training and get you know understand it and be receptive of it, I'm like, you know, I wish I could understand the behaviors more. What does it make them tick? Um, I wish I paid more attention to my psychology class in college. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, Perry's book answers a lot of those questions, which I, I really like. Um, but that's, uh, that's high on my list of, you know, my go-to stuff. Um, Tribe of Hackers is another good book. Um, anything that Javad's written, I always enjoy reading. Is it, it hasn't written on. anything. <laughs> Isn't that what you want me to say, Javad? <laughs> Check my notes. That, that Even here. on the bathroom stools, I was like, I enjoy reading. <laughs> <laughs> Although yeah. um, I, I do have to say, Javad, we, we, we may let the cat out of the bag here. You and I have been working on a book for some time now, and I think we've got about four or eight um, paragraphs done of that at this point. It's only been, what, six months, something like that? We'll, we'll get that. We'll get that. along nicely then. Okay. Framed me. I don't know much of a read, Eric, but is there any books that you would recommend? Um, so I love Perry's book and I'm again, not just saying that because it's Perry, but Perry's book not only deals with security awareness, um, but with psychology in general, and it's also useful for marketing, understanding what makes people tick and make them think and makes them take action and kind of how we do that. Um, I would say it's even probably pretty good when it comes to red teamers and understanding how people work. Okay. So um, Perry is one of the smartest guys. I mean, I, I've ever met. I've, I've been fortunate to spend some time with him, um, but he really, really gets the psychology piece of it, which to me is fascinating. Um, it's so yeah. much deeper than just, uh, it, you know, what we initially think of when it comes to, to people. And it's given me a good perspective on, on how to manipulate people. Uh, no, you, you're absolutely right. And, and the psychology aspect is so overlooked because yeah. we, Oftentimes within cybersecurity, we talk about metrics and how we're measuring things. And there are certain and things that you can count are just easy to measure, but they're not always necessarily the right things to be measuring. And if you understand the psychology and what makes people tick, uh, you can you can get further. A great example I, I heard not too long ago was uh, we we have the Eurostar, which connects London to to Paris. It's a train that goes underneath the the channel, uh, and uh, and. Uh, they spent about 6 million or 16 million uh, upgrading it so they could cut the journey time by 40 minutes. Wow. And, yes. and they looked at, and someone looked at it and um, they said, well, for 10% of that or less than 10% of the cost, you could put high speed internet throughout the entire journey. You'd make the journey more enjoyable for people. And maybe they wouldn't mind the extra 40 minutes. Right. And actually for half of that price for a whole year, you could hire some of the world's top models to serve free champagne up and down. And people <laughs> would be begging you to slow the train down. So <laughs> yeah. you know, it, this is what happens when we, when we just look at bean counters uh, and, you know, what we think we're measuring, it's not always the right thing. And this is where the psychology and some of Perry's tips really come in uh, come in handy. Yeah, that reminds me earlier, you were talking about how, um, 
you know, sometimes things look better on paper than they do in real life, you know, and, and there was a great movie that was all about this. Um, I think it really got the, the idea home of, of honestly how bad things can go. And that's, uh, it's called national lampoons, Christmas vacation, <laughs> right? <laughs> so not to give away the end there, but yeah, you know, the, the jelly of the month club thing. And, uh, you know, they end up getting the boss uh, kidnapped and he's going, yeah, well, it looked better on paper. And now that we see how it impacts people, it's a little bit different, you know, as he's tied up. Um, but yeah, <laughs> interesting how those things kind of, you know, uh, the, the paper side looks different and taking that holistic view can make a big difference. It's, it's like it's, I, I find jokes sound funnier in my head than when I come out with them out loud. Um, that's always you, the case. You don't need to agree with me. Well, I got to tell you, um, for folks that are watching this in the video version, um, it appears that Javad has activated his Kung Fu movie filter. And so his audio and his lip syncing are way off right now. Um, it's just, it's humorous to watch. So if you're listening Probably. to the podcast, you may just want to see this anyways. No, may maybe I, I tell you what, this, there's this extra, let me, if I reduce the workload here, then that should oh, fix there we go. Yeah, yes. there we go. Now it looks yeah. perfect. Now you look now great. It is, now it is, isn't it? You so, know, it was interesting. You were talking before, and I'm going to throw this in because Eric's not on here anymore. The with regards to metrics, you know, everything that we do and a lot of what we do in security awareness is all about cost avoidance. You know, if we get people to not click on links, um, you know, then they're not having to have their systems re-imaged and we're saving costs on productivity. That was a lot of what I dealt with back in my Siemens days where we were monitoring these gas turbines. We were monitoring it and basically looking to make sure that the gas turbines didn't uh, get damaged, break down. It was a cost avoidance thing. And it was always very tricky to be able to, to measure that. And it was the constant battle. But a lot of it came down to having the data. If you had the data and you could show uh, show things, then that was going to prove your point and, and get you whatever it is you needed. So. Thank you. I appreciate the the opportunity to to put that in there, Javad, and uh, of course being here today. No, thank you for the for being here. Is there any final words of wisdom you'd like to share with us? No, he doesn't want to share anything else with us. So, with that, thank you so much for joining us on this week's Jerick Show. Hopefully. We will be back next week and Eric's neck will be feeling better and maybe we'll have even another guest for you. So until then, stay secure, my friends.